podcast is brought to you by Kelly Palmer and David Blake, the authors of a new book entitled The Expertise Economy, How the Smartest Companies Use Learning to Engage, Compete, and Succeed. Please listen to podcast number 683 with Kelly Palmer as Greg and Kelly explore the importance of continual learning in the workplace today, as well as creating a culture of corporate learning. Long gone are the days when a four-year degree guarantees job security. Listen to podcast number 683 with Kelly Palmer as she explores with Greg how the workplace of tomorrow will learn, engage, and succeed. For more information about Kelly Palmer's new book, The Expertise Economy, please visit www.expertiseeconomy.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And today joining me from Vallejo, California is Matthew Fox. He probably needs no introduction. He's been on our podcast, Inside Personal Growth, uh, I think three or four times before. And we will put links to those other interviews with Matthew as well. Matthew, good day to you. How are you doing? Well, um, thank you, Greg, and thanks for welcoming me back to your program. Well, I appreciate having you on. I know it's kind of early morning, but we'll get all those cobwebs cleared and we'll actually get into the order of the sacred earth. I'm going to let my listeners know a little bit about you. First, for my listeners, if you want to learn more about uh, this new book, which is co-authored with Skylar Wilson and Jennifer Barrit Lustig. Is that how you say her last name, Matthew? Lustig, yeah. Uh-huh. Lustig. Lustig. Mm-hmm. So what uh, Matthew does is he's the elder of the tribe, and he has two younger folks here. And I, it's just a great blending in this book for all of you out there looking for a, a wonderful book to read on how you can make an impact in the world. Uh, that's what this is about. It's about an order and a movement, and I highly encourage it because you're getting the perspective from a 76-year-old person, Matthew, and two younger people, a 24-year-old and 33-year-old. So it's the best way to bring uh, the best of all together. So Matthew, let me tell them about you a bit. Uh, Matthew Fox is a spiritual theologian and an Episcopal priest. Is the author of 35 books on spirituality and culture, including Original Blessing, A Spirituality Named Compassion, Meister Eckert, a mystical warrior for our times, reinvention of work, and a way to God, Thomas Merton's creation spirituality journey. Uh, Matthew has over 45 years developed the tradition of creation spirituality, which honors the sacredness of the earth and is rooted in ancient Judo, Christianity, and indigenous teachings. This includes of today's science, celebrates creativity, and arts, and is committed to ego, gender, racial, social, and economic justice. And that is the heart of his work. Well, that is a lot to say, but the reality is what you're talking about is really simple. And this all start started for you, at least this order, started on September 17th, 2014 at 4 a.m. Matthew woke from a dream and it said, create a new religious or spiritual order 
allowing people to move more easily and joyfully to carry on their varied vocations to save Mother Earth within a real loose but a real sense of community. And you had quoted Joanna Macy around the turning at that time. Matthew, what, when you arose that morning with that and wrote it on a sticky note as you wrote in the book, what's been driving you for the last four years um, to actually do this? And obviously there's been a lot of changes in those four years since you awoke with that vision um, and you've made a lot of things going on. Tell us what's going on. Uh -huh. Well, of course, one thing that's going on is the um, demise of our institutions. You know, we, we hear a lot today about the, the political institutions that are, are not serving us very well and the educational institutions but also the religious institutions. I mean, this, this scandal that seems unending about pedophile priests and the cover-up by bishops and cardinals and popes, um, you know, obviously, it, it could, it, it, all this could render someone quite cynical. Mm -hmm. And so I think this dream I had, uh, it, it really was a command. Uh, I woke up at four in the morning and and there was a, in my dream, it said, do it, uh, with capital letters and four exclamation marks. Do it, meaning do this order, start this order. Uh -huh. So I looked around to young people because this is about young people because so many young people today are leaving organized religion and for obvious reasons. And um, But that doesn't mean they're not spiritual and they're not seeking and they're not wanting a, a strong ethical grounding but they just don't trust the institutions. Um, and I understand this. I, we're moving from the modern era, which was about a 300-year period in history, to this postmodern era. And we're stuck with all these modern institutions, including, frankly, the, 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 even the Constitution of the United States is a modern invention. And, it, you know, it, it, it totally um, compromised the issue of slavery. And so that's why we have this weird thing like electoral college instead of people just voting for a president. And this weird thing, I'm in California, and my vote uh, for a senator accounts so much less than someone in Montana because there are 36 million people in California, and I think they're like, I don't remember, 2 million in Montana, but we each have two senators. How fair is that? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't come close to being democracy. And so... Uh, you know, we, we have all these old institutions from the modern era that are not working. And religion is part of the problem because religion, while, while it's older than the modern era, it has kind of succumbed to the basic rules. So an order, what, what the, the idea of an order is that an order can respond much more swiftly to history than can uh, religion. You know, time is running out for our planet. It really is. Right. The global right. warming is real. To ask anyone in Carolina now that they're all wet. I was with scientists, 150 scientists a year ago, and they said the wet areas are going to get wetter and the dry areas are going to get drier all over the world. And that's exactly what's happening. And so um, we can't wait around for a religion to reform itself or to start a new religion or anything like this. But an order based on the sacredness of the earth this could unite all kinds of people, and that's why this is a spiritual order, not a religious order. In other words, everyone is welcome, whether you're a Buddhist or a, or a, a Taoist or a Jewish or a Muslim, Christian, or atheist, too. 
are welcome because uh, uh, it's about Mother Earth. It's not about our inherited uh, tribes, you know. And so uh, there's one vow that unites all of us. The vow is I promise to be the best lover of Mother Earth and the best defender of Earth that I can be. That is the vow. And mm -hmm. um, that's the basis of an order of vow. And this invites everybody in. And so we had our first vow ceremony last uh, December on the solstice. And um, 80 people showed up in Berkeley, a uh, Buddhist center where we held it. And there were Jews and there were Christians and there were indigenous people. And there, was, there were others, Buddhists. And it was, um, there was an atheist woman, 28. She came up to me and she said, I'm atheist, but she said, I'm here because I want to belong to a community, and I believe in the values you people are putting out there, so I'm, I'm taking oath, too. So that's what the order is. And, and by the way, there are, other, um, there are other groups popping up all over, too. There's a group, strong group in Portland and Southern California, in Illinois, in Florida, in Colorado. So uh, that's what we're doing so out there, this invitation. Yeah, well, it's also a movement, as I see it. And... You know, I have this question, I guess is I don't want to make it a, a compounded question, but I think it's a, maybe is one, uh, if you're going to have to disrupt all of these institutions and create a new order, right? So, you know, okay, some people could say, well, Trump was put in there to actually disrupt and that's what's going to break down many, many and what's being exposed today. We're seeing you know, they're trying to get a new Supreme Court justice. And now we're coming up with, you know, he's been inappropriate. And you're talking about all the priests and all the inappropriateness that's gone on there. And um, and you and your co-authors state that humanity's in a complex situation, especially in our westernized world, that we're dominated by alienated religions, patriarchal governance, materialistic consumer-driven society, and then we lost our sacred living landscapes that we inhabit. I couldn't agree more with you. The challenge is, and this is part of my question, is that when and how can you expect the people who've gotten accustomed to the ways of living in the United States, which consumes three quarters of, the, of our material uh, things that have come on, the rest of the earth doesn't, and it's the people that are actually living right here in our United States, which are materialistic and consuming these things. How do you turn that back, Matthew? How do you get people to live in balance? How do you get people to be real again and say, hey, I, I don't need more materialism. My ego has taken over. Uh, I've bought too much. I have too much. I consume too much. Well, that's, 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 that's a big question for sure. And, um, I think the key is to appeal to their better natures, that especially young people too, to um, there's idealism, there's values. People want to live life with values and meaning, but they need to have um, communities, they need to have uh, uh, support groups, if you will, where you can uh, support one another. And um, there are so many alternatives happening on the earth you know, so many groups are forming to live more simply, to uh, develop a, an economic system that is more just and is not based on creating a few creek, uh, kooky billionaires, but in fact is about uh, uh, something that's of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
um, the work of David Corton, for example, in creating an economic system that works for everyone. And by everyone is not just humans all around the world, but for all the animals and the and the soil and the forests and the oceans around the world. So the big vision does come, I think, from the pain of Mother Earth. I think that people do change when they experience pain personally. I, I bet the people in South Carolina are going to think a little differently about climate change now that they've been deluged as they are being deluged by this latest excessive hur hurricane. And uh, it's happening because the climate is warming and the oceans are warming. And um, as people wake up, as people wake up, they do change because there is in the heart of everybody, we're born with it, a sense of justice, a quest for justice, a quest to treat others the way we want to be treated. There is a capacity for love in all people. This has to be stirred up. And sometimes it takes suffering. Sometimes it takes a shock. It takes a a club in the head. Meister Eckhart, the great mystic, said, uh, if you want the kernel, you must break the shell. Well, right. I think a lot of shells are being broken by the suffering of Mother Earth today, and this is why we should have these new expressions of um, spirituality that that awaken the warrior, the, the, the strength in all of us, uh, to fight for justice and for um, joy and not for just making a lot of money and trampling on other people to do it. Right. I, I ask this question, you know, um, economically, uh, I mean, we can talk about a lot of things, but what drives this ego, what drives much of what we acquire the materialistic world is our capitalistic structure. And this structure has dominated so strongly and continues to dominate as you can see the division between uh the classes right um right. what what do you or how would you propose that something start to happen with that so that we don't have these big chasms of despair between the extremely wealthy, which is about two or three percent of the population ruling the rest of the world, which is currently the situation. Well, it is. And it's not just as I've written for years. It's not just that people have a lot of money. It's that they have all this power to buy legislators, Correct. Correct. To buy, who make judges, who make laws, who, who undo other laws. I just read on the Internet this morning that they're undoing the laws about methane now in our country, which is just crazy. Methane um, does more damage to the environment than, than any other source property that we know of, and the present administration is, is cutting those uh, restrictions back and so forth. And um, in Florida, uh, this red tide that's happening that's destroying the, the, the economy there because tourists aren't going to come, fishermen are being... Uh, not able to get fish. The, the, the beaches are turning into ugly places. Um, the fact is that the fellow running for senator now, who's the current governor there, Scott, he passed laws like six years ago in Florida that cut back hundreds of millions of dollars on the environment in Florida. And that's why uh, these, the, the sea's turning red there with algae and the rest. 
So there are reasons why these things are happening and people have to wake up. And you're right, the capitalist structure is more than just a economic structure. It's an ideology and this is the real problem. It appeals to greed. It appeals to avarice. And every mm-hmm. spiritual tradition around the world warns human beings about greed, that we are capable of being very, very avaricious and greedy. And like Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century, he said that greed tends to infinity and knows no limit. So uh, that's what's wrong with capitalism. I remember hearing Henry Ford years ago, who was worth millions at the time, Henry Ford Jr., he was asked at a press conference, when do you have enough money? And the answer was, we need always have a little bit more. Well, that's the essence of greed. And if that's what capitalism is about, it's very dangerous to our souls and, the, and ultimately to the planet itself. Because right, we, because we it, create it an, an extractive capitalism instead of yeah. a system that works for everybody. I couldn't agree with you more. And it actually just perpetuates the same old cycle. Uh, because it's like feeding on itself. It just keeps going after, and it's insidious what really happens in that process. Now, you and the co-authors in the book talk about, obviously, right-wing, left-wing, and how we banter back and forth, and we've probably seen more of that in history now than we have at any other time, given the current president and the divisiveness of how he treats uh, minorities and how he treats all kinds of people. And I can say that freely, and the people listening to this podcast, if they they care one way or the other, that's okay. Um, it's a free society here. And we suffer from what you are referring to in the book, because I'm so in tune with this book, I am right and you are wrong attitudes. How do we remove these inherent ego-driven lack of spiritual thinking attitudes to create peace and harmony in a world today, and how will the order of the earth assist in creating this harmonic world? Well, I think we should try to depersonalize um, our, our, if you will, our debates. Um, that, um, and that's where science really, really helps and is really important. I mean, that science's job really is to get us something close to objective reality. And so uh, issues like climate change, 98% of scientists say that humans are contributing to climate change. So that means that we can do things about it. When I was with this group of scientists a year ago, 150 of them, and, and the, the, for a week, and the theme was climate change, um, I remember at the end of the week, two young scientists stood up, and one of them said, with what we now know, we could create um, off of the Atlantic coast, of a thousand miles off, so it won't be in anyone's backyard, no one will see it. We could create an island of um, wind turbines. And those wind turbines could provide all the electrical needs for all of North America. We wouldn't need any gas, any oil, or any coal. And um, then another um, uh, fellow stood up and he said, um, if we could quadruple the capacity for storage and batteries, and we've already doubled it, so we'll only have to double it one more time. Um, He said, all the southern continents, and of course those are the poorest continents, Africa, Latin America, and Southeast Asia, all these continents could skip over the Industrial Revolution and run entirely on solar, because with really solid batteries, you could store uh, the sun power. Now, just those two examples, 
which are real, uh, show how important creativity is. So first we have to agree that there's a problem and not hide in our little boxes of ideology or, as you say, of greed and capitalism, and then um, buckle down and go to work. And, and the imagination is there. We humans are amazing, our capacity for intellect and imagination. And a crisis, my experience is that nothing changes human beings like a crisis. And so we're in this crisis. We have to get the word out. The media, I think, has been far too slow to tell the truth about climate change. Even now, you have these pictures all over the TV about the swamping of Carolina and the rivers that are being born there, but, but very seldom do they talk about the cause. And mm-hmm. uh, the media should get smarter about talking about the cause. And because this is just the beginning, there are going to be more and more. This is a repeat of Houston a year ago, and um, it's going to be similar all along. I'm, I'm in California where there's drought and where these fires are happening all year round now. They're not just a certain season. And this is what the scientists tell us is going to happen more and more in more and more places. We're living in a new earth. So let's all stand up and defend the earth. And it begins with love. It doesn't begin with what party are you or what uh, religion are you. It begins with our love of Mother Earth and our gratitude for being in a place that's as brilliant and beautiful and diverse and gorgeous as this earth is, but also as precious and precarious as our Mm -hmm. earth is. Haven't found anything like it yet. It's it's interesting you say that because you're talking about the media and the change, but again, uh, you're talking about right and left, and we do understand that most of the media here in the United States, even though a lot of people wouldn't admit it, it's being controlled politically. Um, you know, certain networks are inclined to choose certain things. Newspapers, or uh, at, at least many of them, will write stories a certain way. And I couldn't agree with you more. We need to get to some transparency here. And I think we have to break through and keep those good people out there like yourself who are espousing this type of order to help that happen. And, you know, you asked this question of the reader in the book about midway through. How do we develop our mysticism, which in turn becomes the garden that nurtures the warrior, as you said? And in one sense... Uh, That's what you're advocating. And in your recent book, you speak about one such example, which is Meister Eckert. Uh, Can you tell us about, if you would, because I did another interview with you on your book about Meister Eckert, um, the contribution that Eckert actually made to the evolution of the order of the sacred earth, because um, I have a feeling uh, his works influenced you tremendously and also influenced this order. Yeah. Well, um, and that's, that's an interesting question. Um, Eckhart's influence, he lived in the 14th century, but his influence has been amazing. He was very important to Carl Jung, for example. Jung says Eckhart gave him the key to the unconscious. He was important even to Karl Marx, because Eckhart put mysticism to use about for the poor and the oppressed. In his day, it was the peasants and also women, the Big E movement. He supported both of these movements, and that is why there was a trial called against him. It became political, and he was condemned by the Pope a week after he died. And um, he influenced Martin Buber, the great Jewish mystic, and early in the 20th century, Buber did his doctorate on, on, on Eckhart and so forth. And, of course, Thomas Merton, this Catholic monk, who who has just been proven, died a martyr. He was actually murdered in 
in um, in uh, Thailand uh, in 1968 by our government because he took a strong stand against the Vietnam War. So um, Merton has been a tremendous influence, uh, rather uh, Eckhart has been a tremendous influence on a lot of movements and a lot of people who have been trying to change things because his his teaching is that um, he says uh, you can call God. Uh, love, you could call God truth and goodness, but the best name for God is compassion. And compassion means justice, he says, which is a very Jewish and biblical understanding. And so he puts compassion as the very goal of all spirituality. And he says it begins at home with your own body and your own soul. So we have to learn to love ourselves and appreciate the wonder of our bodies and the gift of, that our bodies are. And and then, of course, the gift of other bodies and the gift that the earth is that feeds our body every day and nurtures it and, and also delights our souls with beauty and all the rest and friendship with all the beings, not just human beings. So there's so much to Eckhart, um, but at the heart of it is that the earth is sacred and the cosmic Christ, that is, we are all other Christ, he says. We are all other Christ. We, we should quit kind of projecting on Jesus. He said, what good is it to me if, 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 if Mary gave birth to the Son of God 1,400 years ago and I don't give birth to the Son of God in my own person, in my own culture, in my own time? So he's, there's a challenge in Eckhart. He challenges us to be other Christs, or if you will, to be our better nature, our Buddha nature, and um, to, to respond with compassion. And compassion is not about feeling sorry for people. It is about strength. It's about justice making. It's about balance, just what we've been talking about this whole this whole conversation. And it's about fairness. And mm-hmm. um, we have to fight for that because, as you pointed out, uh, so much of our culture and the media, which is often so driven by capitalist motives and not by really putting out information, and the media, remember, draws all kinds of hate. You know, think of... Um, Rush Limbaugh, who's had hate radio on for 20 years. This is one reason. And, and then Fox News has so much of hate news on it. Uh, this kind of attitude of hatred is, is in our airwaves. It's in our ears. And we have to kind of detox. And that's what spirituality is always about, you know. It's about detoxing. This is why you fast. This is why you... You take time off. This is why you, the Sabbath is about taking time off to cleanse ourselves from the impurities, the toxins that get into our system, our souls, our bodies, our ears, uh, and um, we all have to do that and face. So we can see reality for what it is. And the truth well, is I think that it's pretty suffering. I'd say you know again, you and I are in the same lane here, but you know, look. Fundamentally, religions have been extremely divisive uh, mechanisms to aggregate communities of people together. And um, I kind of go along a little bit with Ken Wilber. I don't know if there is, there isn't a need for another religion. There's a need for spirituality. As a matter of fact, all these religions, as you say, and young people are moving away from it, moving to an order like what you've got. And I would agree because we've evolved beyond the dogma, which creates the divisiveness, which has created all of this, much of what's going on. And it isn't just religions. It's our institutions that do the same thing. Now, you, right in the middle of this book, too, as well, 
you you quote uh, Naomi Klein, um, and obviously it was this book was important enough for you to mention. And it's called the change. This changes everything. Capitalist capitalism versus the climate offers a veritable Bible for the order of the sacred earth. Can you explain her seminal work and how it has inspired the development of your order? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thrilled that you picked up on that um, that uh, section on, on Naomi Klein because I have great respect for her. She really is a prophet, I think, in our time. And uh, this, for me, is kind of the high point of my essay that you're quoting from there. But um, she has this... Uh, this teaching that it's really important that uh, she says the, now she herself identifies as Jewish feminist and atheist, but she says um, the biases and prejudices that have kept us divided in the past, to overcome this, we have to do our internal work. This is crucial if we come together in resistance and transformation. So here's an atheist who's saying, yes, we must do internal work. Well, this puts her obviously in the camp of spirituality and of what an order would be, because an order um, of the sacred earth would be doing the internal work to recover the sense of the sacred. Like I said earlier, to kind of cleanse our, 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 our view of reality and to rediscover how sacred our bodies are, how sacred food is, how sacred animals are, how sacred the earth is. And um, here we have her um, calling for that as well. And she says that communities and movements are the key, that they have to lead. The politicians will follow. And so, as you said earlier, when you read this book, that uh, you sense that this order we're talking about is a movement. And that's how I see it, too. I think every order, see, I look at it historically, too, that <clears throat> there have been other periods in history in the West when religion was going downhill. Uh, in the third century, for example, and the church was... Um, kind of uh, uh, cuddling up with the empire. And um, the young people, it was young people again, they fled to the desert. We call them desert fathers and desert mothers. But they, they wanted to get away from the culture as it was to live a life of greater integrity. Then in the 6th century, you had St. Benedict and his sister's classes starting the Benedictine order. And that held things together for about a 1,000 years. There's very good things with the Benedictine mon monastic movement. But then that went bad in the 12th century. They got too fat and lazy and comfortable. They were too identified with the feudal economic system. So then you had revolutionaries, Francis of Assisi and Dominic, starting their order, the Franciscans and the Dominicans. And so I look around at history and I say, well, what's happening today regarding a religion? And nothing <laughs> except people leaving. And, so, and, and then all the scandals coming out, too. So that's why I think an order is in, is in, is in order today. It's being called for uh, because this is how movements, as you say, and communities uh, get moving again based on spiritual values. And what's different about our order is that we're living in this very special time when religions are um, facing each other and uh, coming together uh, on the one hand, although there's also religious wars going on, which is nothing new. But the point is that our order, which is spiritual and not religious, invites people from any tradition or none to join because the earth is what's calling us and uh, the earth is in real trouble. And when it comes to a real tragedy, think, for example, of these um, the floods happening in Carolina today, 
it, when it comes to putting up sandbags and the rest or, or being a first responder, uh, who cares if you're Muslim or Jewish or atheist or Christian? Uh, the task is presenting itself uh, for what it is, which is an emergency. And right. um, our earth is in a, an emergency situation. So we need a movement. I think we need a spiritual order uh, to uh, assist us in this gathering of community and talent and hands, hard work and good hearts to uh, to steer things differently. Well, I think you've put together a great um, team, the co-authors themselves, to help you do this. And I'm glad to hear that there's chapters springing up. And uh, I want to offer my coordination efforts to get more going in Southern California. But I do want to ask you this, this last question. Um, you state that creation spirituality forms a foundational dimension to the order of the sacred earth. And I don't think that all my listeners really know what creation spirituality is. Can you explain to the listeners what creation spirituality is and why it's so important to your new order here and I also understand that the Fox Institute of Creation Spirituality has been formed by some other people that are doing that with you and carrying it on. So uh, let our listeners know about that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, creation spirituality is um, about recovering the sense of the sacredness of creation, uh, not taking it for granted. You know, in the modern era, was very, very anthropocentric. Pope Francis has called it narcissistic, which I think is accurate. We've been so centered on the human agenda that we haven't been asking these questions about, oh, what does it mean that we're tearing down rainforests uh, to, to grow cattle, to feed our meat addiction, etc.? cetera? Uh, what does it mean that we've been mining the oceans and so many fishes are now um, going extinct and so forth. So we have to ask these bigger questions about our relationship to all of nature, to creation itself. And of course, we can't take it for granted. We can't take our health for granted. We can't take healthy air, healthy soil, healthy waters, forests, and the beauty and wonder of all the wonderful animals. We can't take them for granted anymore. Uh, we've so outcrowding um, other uh, species that uh, we have to stop and reassess what we're doing to ourselves and the planet because to destroy the planet is to destroy ourselves. Um, and uh, so so creation spirituality is, is an ancient tradition. The indigenous people around the world all looked at creation as a source of wisdom and beauty and, and the divine powers. And uh, this is, is actually found in the, the Bible as well, the Jewish and Christian tradition, although there have been, um, what can I say, it's been covered over by this anthropocentrism, this narcissism, I think, and the way we've been reading the Bible for many centuries. But in these great mystics, I've been trying to recover, like Meister Eckhart and Hildegard of Bingen and Thomas Aquinas and others, they, and Francis of Assisi, surely, these people have celebrated the sacredness of the earth. And now there are movements in Judaism that show that the image of God tradition is about all creatures, that every creature is an image of God. That's the latest Jewish scholarship um, in that tradition. And the Buddhist tradition, the Buddha nature is found in all creatures. 
And so it's about expanding our awareness of the sacredness of all being. And when we can do that, everything will shift. We will make different politics, different education, different religion, different um, uh, 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 economics. And um, that's our, our survival, I think. I don't see us being able to pull these things off without some kind of real founding in uh, the specialness, the sacredness um, of of the rest of creation. And humans have to find our humility again. We're only part of creation. Science, of course, tells us this because we're the latest um, on the scene after 13.8 billion years. So uh, we should learn a little humility again. So true. And your message echoes great for myself and I'm hoping all of my listeners and I hope that they will go out and get a copy of the book. And it couldn't be more appropriate that today we're doing this on Yom, Yom Kippur. Uh, yes. A holy day for the people and uh, the Jews that are, are listening. Um, also, it couldn't be even more appropriate that uh, you probably remember this gentleman. It just popped up in front of me. Uh, he passed away last year, Jim Channon. Um, Jim used to be a, quite an advocate of uh, nature and connection with uh, the spiritual world. Um, uh-huh. And, I, and uh, I don't know if you're aware of him or not, but uh, somebody you might want to look up. But at any rate, we're going to direct all of our listeners uh, to go to www.orderofthesacredearth.org to get more information about this book. There will also be a link to Amazon. Um, for you picking up this book. Uh, again, for those of you who are interested in living in more harmony and in balance in your life and to make yourself more aware, and I think the key here is uh, for everybody, it's about awareness of our actions every day and how they not only affect ourselves and our thinking, but how they affect other people around us and the world around us and the nature around us. And I'd ask all my listeners after speaking here with Matthew for the last 30 minutes, what is your true nature? Really take some time to go listen to the wind, to hug a tree, to really get back in touch with nature and really understand a little bit more about what it is. Um, Take a meditation retreat. Spend some time in silence. Um, Spend some time in silence just journaling. Uh, and getting in touch with yourself and what you really want to become and how you can contribute to this. And Matthew, it's always a pleasure having you on, spending some time with our listeners. Um, and uh, I've really thoroughly enjoyed our interview today. Any final words for our listeners? Well, thank you, Greg. And um, yes, the fact that uh, this is Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur is a, a moment for uh, reconciliation, for repentance, for starting over. I think it makes it very, very fitting. Everything we've been talking about here, moving from greed uh, to sharing and from injustice to justice and compassion. Um, this is something we're all called today, uh, whatever tradition we belong to or none. That the earth is asking this of us, and therefore our children and grandchildren, future generations are asking this of us, that we make a shift, a profound shift. And hopefully the order of the sacred earth can assist people. And I really appreciate uh, your your solid questions and thoughtful questions and the fact that you do represent a different kind of media um, and that you invite people like myself on to to, uh, spread some good news. 
Well, thank you so much and uh, namaste to you. I appreciate you and all the work that uh, Skylar's doing, Jennifer's doing, and all the people around you that are kind of following the order, creating the movement, uh, and also involved in the Fox Institute of Creation Spirituality. Thank you to all of you for the good work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you.